Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here on God's Learning Channel. Uh, it's another a fabulous show with our special guests, our, what we love so much. Me and Holly are so excited to be talking to you with Ben and Leonor Burton this evening. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah. shalom, shalom. Purim Sameach. Happy Purim to everybody. Amen, amen. Well, I just wanted to open us up in, in a quick prayer. Cover cover us with prayer. Amen. And uh, and let's get the get the, the show started, yeah. right? Amen. Abba, I thank you so much that we get to have um, Ben and Leonor with us. Father, we just pray that your spirit would be among uh, among us, that your words would be spoken, and that we would just learn and have so much uh, revelation uh, for for this subject of Purim today. Uh, so we ask that you would um, show us the mighty things of your word in the name of Yeshua and in his merit. Amen. 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 This is Leonor's first time on GLC. Hey. Hey, welcome, Leonor. Thank you so much. This is, but it's not her first time. She's very familiar being an actress in Mexico, and her whole family are actresses and, and actors, and very famous there. So, very natural behind the camera. How about that? Okay. It's not the same to be acting than to be yourself. So. Yeah. That, oh, that is true. That is true. But that's what we're going to talk about today: is concealing identity. So. The whole concept of, matter of fact, there's a statement that says coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And so we're going to go through and talk about the book of Esther and the festival called Purim. So Purim means lots. So in a sense, it means random chance. And I want to tell you, it's so amazing about random chance. Because when you like roll the dice, it's, it's random, right? There's random chance. And this is the number one debate in science today. Random chance versus design. It, are we in a world that is designed, or are we the product of random chance? Yeah. Somebody once said to me, uh, coincidence is science way of maybe saying God. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Matter of fact, if you look in scientific literature, I, like, I, I love reading science, mainstream scientific literature, and where you find God is in the word coincidence, or, or by random chance. Like, <laughs> like there are just, there are so many... Uh, events that are just random chance. Like, have you ever considered the probabilities of the sun and the moon being the exact same size in the sky? All right, do you understand the variables that have to line up for that to happen? So the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but the sun is 400 times farther away um, from from Earth. So, so our view makes the two line up exactly. So I think the sun can hold like 10,000 Earth. So, I mean, what are the Statistical probabilities. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a random hint. Chance. Random chance. Yeah. I'll give you the. I'll give you the the answer. Zippo. Like, <laughs> so I mean, there is no yeah. random chance. Everything is by, by design, and so you see that hashkacha. Well, that means providence. Everything is by providence, and so that's what this, the book of Esther and the festival of Purim is about. So everything is providence, and you know even. Sometimes we get frustrated of little things in our lives, like, you know, we get like, you know, maybe forget a connection or so, you know, there's like, there's just little things that happen and, and we tend to, and I, I have a tendency, you know, I'm like, I get, I get frustrated. We shouldn't get frustrated. Everything is by design. Every single aspect of our lives is by design. And Hashem has set up all the sequence of events in absolute perfect way. So everything we see, we need to, to, Always see the good in everything. And 
that's a challenge for me. I, I mean, it's nice. a challenge for all of us, I think. Um, but that's the truth. Yeah. And, and so, um, in the moment, it's hard to see, but in, in, in truth, it's, that is the way to, to look at it. And so when we're looking at the book of Esther, which we're going to be exploring today, the book of Esther is celebrated every year by Jewish people at the festival called Purim or Lot. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is Purim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it's like I've, we've heard and it's celebrated, but I think I've heard many times, it's like, is this just like, Maybe the, the Jewish Halloween. Is it, what is this? Like, uh, people are dressing up. Uh, the book of Esther is read. Yeah. So much in it, but okay, let's keep going. So let's talk about that. So Purim is a historic festival of the Jewish people recorded in the scroll of Esther. And I want to tell you that this is very interesting that most of us that are reading a Bible, you know, we're reading this form is called a codex. Okay. But in ancient times, it was a scroll form. So there are five scrolls, and one of the five scrolls in the Tanakh is called Megillat Esther. So mm -hmm. Megillat Esther means Megillah in Hebrew is, is the word for scroll. And we have a Megillah. We have a Megillah right here. So right here we have, and you could read it, uh, Megillat Esther is what it says. And so we're actually going to um, open this Megillah up. Um and let's see if we can't uh, see if we can give the camera a little a little picture, a little preview of, of what it looks like on the inside. Um, this is a printed edition. Um, sometimes they're illuminated. Um, they are uh, designed and have graphics and stuff like that. This one is a printed version, but there are beautiful uh, hand hand scribed versions that are really remarkable. So in this festival. We are celebrating the historic victory of the Jewish people over anti-Semitism that manifested uh, at the time of Queen Esther. And so today we celebrate Purim, but that's like a question you brought up. How do you celebrate it? So we make we make these little uh, cookies called uh, hamantashen, mm -hmm. which they which literally means like haman's ears, and they look like little triangles, and they're they're usually with figs, but you can make them with Jelly, any, you any, can make them any with kind of sweet. anything sweet. It's it's very customary to have a giant party, to have a Purim spiel, which is like a a Purim play. Our congregation, Beit Aderek, we made I think we made like three films and done. Uh, we've done various. We have a Purim play this year. Yes. Um, yeah. So that is Leonor's passion because she comes from the background of theater, of art, of of uh, movies, and and so. So we do that, but there's this other aspect that you referenced is that we wear masks, all right? So people looking at, at Purim through the lens of their own experience would, would see similarities to Halloween, but there's nothing further from the truth. If anything, it's like the anti-Halloween because you're not dressing in something that's dark or, or scary or something like that. You are dressing in something that's either biblical or fun or light and and it's, it's a time, uh, the month of Adar is a time that we increase joy. So it's said that we increase joy, but Adar is the concealment of Hashem's miracles. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the meaning of Purim. Okay, so the meaning of Purim. So um, before we do that, one thing we do is we read from the scroll of Esther. And do you want to maybe read for let 
the audience hear like how that sounds maybe okay we can uh before before you begin reading the or chanting the the megila the scroll you say three blessings is that okay we say the three blessings and sure. three just three verses sure. yeah. and holly is going to translate These are the three blessings. Baruch atah Hashem, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher kitshanu vemitzvotav, Betsivanu al mikra megillah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the reading of the Megillah. Amen. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, she'asanisim lavotenu, payamihim ahahem basmanazeh. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers in those days at this time. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, she'echeyanu ve'kihimanu ve'yikiyanu la'azman hazeh. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. Amen. Vayhi bimei ha-hashverosh, hu ha-hashverosh ha-molech, me'odu ve'adkush, sheva ve'ezrimu me'amedina, vayamim ha-hem ke-shevet, ha-melech ha-hashverosh ha-al-kiseh malchuto, asher v'shushan ha-virah, v'shnat shalosh le-malcho asam, ishte lechol sarafa v'adav, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces. Amen. So that was a little preview. So we go through the whole scroll. We read the whole scroll. Sometimes last year, I think we did the whole thing in Hebrew, but we, we read it in English. And when when Esther is mentioned, everybody screams, yay, and, and Mordecai, yay. And then Haman and everybody's boo. So we read through this, and it's a very fun time for the kids. But I want to tell you that every single thing that we read in the prophets, in the writings, so this is part of the writings of the Tanakh, and the New Testament, everything we read can be found in the Torah. And how do we know this? Because Pirka Avot says, the chapters of the Father says, um, it says, Ben Bagbag, Ben Bagbag, Omer, Hafokpo, Hafokpo, the Kulovo. He says, Turn it over. There was a, a sage named Ben Bagbag, and he says, turn it over and turn it over again, because everything is contained in it. Everything is contained in the Torah. So we must ask ourselves, where is the source of Esther in the Torah? Mm. 
So in Deuteronomy 31, verse 18, it says, Vanochi hasterastir panai bayamau, which says, and I will surely hide my face from you on that day. Now this is remarkable because this is called haster, haster panim, the concealment of the face. There is a concept in Hebrew that when we sin or when, when Israel sins, Hashem conceals his face. And if you ever feel in your life that God is concealed or God is not there, that's a concept of haster panim. What our response to that feeling though um, what what our response is is critical. What, how do we deal with that? I don't know if y'all have ever experienced this in your life right. that you don't feel close to God. Okay, listen to everybody in the audience. If you're not feeling close to God right now, you're experiencing astratapanim. You're you're experiencing the concealment of His face. There are two options for that. One option is to just to keep living your life and just go on and just and just do whatever you want and just depart from the Lord. Chazva shalom, chazva chalila, God forbid. Or you can say, I need to search him out. I need to find him. I need to look for him. I need to ask. I need to seek. I need to knock. I need to knock at the door. I need to find Hashem. Yeah. Rebbe Nachman has a, uh, this is a very famous rabbi, and he says that even in a concealment within a concealment, which is is like the the worst type of feeling of separation, even in the midst of the worst type of separation, Hashem is right there. Hashem is really close. The key is, though, that our radios are out of out of tune. Like you know, it's like you have to turn your dial to the right frequency to get the radio station. Hashem's blessings are always pouring into the world, and it's us who are out of alignment. That's what Haster Panim is. And if we just turn our our uh, dial. We can get in touch with Hashem. And how do we do that? How do you turn your dial? How? What is the practical step? Number one is prayer. But number two is to open up the book and start reading. Right. When you do that, when you open up the book and you start reading, God's voice will be speaking to you. How do you build faith? How do you build a muna? Is by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. So that is. those are the steps. There's more steps than that, but these are the two major ones is pray. And then, and then number two is read the word, but number three is do a, do a mitzvah for someone. This uh, a season for Adar is a season to, uh, what we call the Mishloach Manot, is to, is to give gifts to the poor. We do things of night. We, we're um, blessing the poor. We're blessing other people. Mishloach Manot is giving gifts to, to each other. Giving gifts to, to each other. One way to really unlock... I would I call it the concealment is to show Hashem's love to other people. And when you do that, you're really aligning your radio station or your radio frequency to his frequency. Because that's God's heart. So if we love God and we have a relationship with him, but we're not acting on that, we are participating in his presence from the world, where revealing that comes through our actions. That's right. That's right. So that will bring you into alignment, and then you, that concealment of Hashem's face, you'll open your eyes and say, have you ever looked for like your keys all over your house, and you're looking all through your house <laughs> for your keys, and then you look in your hand and your keys were there the whole time? Mm. This yeah. is how it works. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, never, um, never. Never <laughs> done it. Never done it. Well, so I, w- I want to talk just really quick about the scroll of Esther. So in Hebrew, and we'll show this, uh, Megillat Esther. So the way you say a scroll is Megillah. All right. The word, the root word for Megillah is this, is this word Gilah, right? which means to roll. So if you have the scroll, you have to unroll it, and in the process, it's spinning. Okay, but when you spin and unroll it, what are you doing? You're revealing it. So in Hebrew, the way you say, like, the book of Revelation is Hithgalut. Hithgalut means the revelation, but there's this gal, there's this root word gal, it talks about rolling it and revealing. Okay? So Esther is a very fascinating word because it means hidden. It means concealed. It means secret. So every time that Esther was asked, what is your name? She would say Esther, but in Hebrew, she's saying, my name is hidden. My name is secret. Okay. So traditional Jews believe that God is hidden behind all of the events of the Megillah. The rabbis referred to God's role as Haster Panim, or the hiding of the face, which is also to be hinted at a wordplay in the Hebrew name for the book of Esther, Megillah Esther, which literally means the revelation of that which is hidden. Now that's shocking because that tells us that the entire story of of Esther that we're reading is a surface text for a much deeper narrative that is going on beneath the surface. Okay. Although Jews, this is a quote here. Um, although Jews believe everything turned out for the best as a as a direct result of divine in- intervention, that is a series of miracles. The Book of Esther lacks any mention of God's name. And the events described in it appear to have been nothing more than a result of natural occurrences. On the other hand, Jewish philosophers and scriptural commentators believe that God's name is omitted to emphasize the very point that God remained hidden throughout the story, but was nonetheless present and played a large role in its outcome. Megillat Esther and God's and the omission of God's name in it serves to show that although God may be conspicuously may not be conspicuously present at times, he nevertheless plays and has played an important role in everyone's lives and in the future of the Jewish nation. So when we see the revelation of that which is hidden, Esther's name was Hadassah. What does that make you think, Hadassah? Where does that come from in the the Torah? There has to be a place. In the Arba Menim, in the four species of Sukkot, there are four types you were, you were supposed to have, and one of them is called the hadas. All right. The hadas is a myrtle branch that has a scent. Okay. It's very interesting. So hadas's real name was the myrtle branch, which comes from Sukkot, which means there's a messianic connection there. But Esther, now people in Babylon would have thought that she was referencing like a pagan goddess name with that name. But the whole time she is saying to everyone, my name is concealed. But it's fascinating that the one person's name in the bio, in the book of Esther that does not occur is God's name himself. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do, I want to bring up something fascinating maybe you haven't heard. Psalm 22, according to the rabbis, references Esther. So Psalm 22 is universally known as the crucifixion psalm. Right. So I, I, I want us to just briefly just read the first two uh, uh, verses of this psalm. That's right. It's that psalm right there. So 
Psalm 22 says, Nam al ayelet hashachar mizmor ledavid. Eli, Eli, lama azavtan. It says, for the choir director upon ayelet hashachar, it even says that in English, maybe yours would say the doe of the dawn or the hind of the dawn, a psalm of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is fascinating because this is linking Esther. Um, the rabbis look at this and they say this applies to Esther before she goes before Ahasuerus. So the way you say Ahasuerus, how do, how do we say it in English? Ahasuerus or Ahasuerus or whatever. Yeah, Ahasuerus. I think it's easier to say in Hebrew, Ahasuerus, like King Ahasuerus, who reigned over 127 provinces, which I think links to Sarah Amenu, links to Sarah, who was 127 years old when she passed away. There's a linkage there. But why would the rabbis apply this to, to Esther? It's very fascinating. I want to show you something, according to the rabbis. Listen to this. This comes from Rabbi Daniel Krinsman, who is like one of the world's experts on the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef. I want to say, in Judaism, there's a concept of Messiah, the son of Joseph, and Messiah, the son of David. Messiah, the son of Joseph, comes and suffers. He, he even dies. And then Messiah, the son of David, comes, resurrects him, and brings the full, complete redemption. This is fascinating because the New Testament portrays Yeshua as not, um, not only the Messiah, the son of David, who's going to restore the world. It portrays him according to Jewish tradition, as the Messiah, the son of Joseph. In fact, his earthly father is even named Joseph, even to the point of Joseph's father being named Jacob. That's in Matthew chapter 1. So, listen to this. So this is a quote from Rabbi Daniel Princeman. It says, Ayelet HaShachar, the morning star, the Midrash Ta'alim and the Gemara, this is a, a commentary uh, that's in the Talmud, describe this verse as referring to Queen Esther, who prayed to Hashem in the following verse, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This verse refers to Esther as she manifested the Mashiach ben Yosef of her generation. Let me tell you why. Because Esther had to give up her life on behalf of the Jewish people. That is one of the fundamental aspects of the Messiah, the son of Joseph. So she had to really just self-sacrifice herself um, to, to be able to bring redemption to her people. Uh, continuing, for this reason, she is called Ayelet HaShachar, the morning star, the first line of the dawn, which serves as a point of transition from night to day. So in Jewish thought, when you hear the word night, you, it refers to exile. And when you hear the word day, it refers to the regathering, the redemption. So Yeshua at um, the final meal, the, the last Seder, the last meal that he had, the last supper, he says, night is coming. What he's saying in rabbinic language is saying the exile is coming to Israel. He told, foretold this 40 years in advance. Okay? So, um, Messiah, the son of Joseph, serves as this turning point. So she acted as this turning point from distress to salvation for the Jewish people. In the same way, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, affects the transition from exile, characterized by night, to redemption characterized by the dawn. Now look at what Yeshua says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. He says, I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify these things to you for the assemblies. I am the root, the shoresh, the root and the offspring of David, 
the bright and the morning star. Do you know what the Hebrew, I, I didn't believe this. I had to look it up. In the Hebrew of Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, and it's shocking. I, I, um, I was like, what, how did he say that in Hebrew? And I look and he uses the phrase, um, uh, he uses this phrase, uh, which is like, I'm going, what? Uh, this is, this is wild. Um, now, now this particular version says, Kochav Noga Hashachar. But it's very fascinating that you have this concept of, of the Messiah using this link because Yeshua is the Messiah, the son of Joseph, and he is the one who was on the cross. He said, Eli, Eli, Lama Azavtani, or in Aramaic, Shevaktani, um, that links to the Messiah in every way. This one says, Ayelet Hashachar. Yeah, I don't know why I have a different version. Yeah, this one says, Ayelet Hashachar which is very fascinating. It's a Hebrew translation of the, New, of the New Testament. So when we're looking at this, there is a concealment here with Esther that is revealing that she is in the aspect of the Messiah, the son of Joseph, giving up her life on behalf of Israel. Okay? So we had just mentioned that she is concealed, but that also Hashem is concealed. I want to show you something here. Look at this. In Esther 5.4, if you take the first letters of God's name, I mean, if you take the first letters of this phrase, let the king and Haman come today, it spells the first letters of God's name. Mm -hmm. Four times in the book of Esther, here's another verse in Esther 1.20, another one in Esther 7.7, 7, and another one in Esther 5.13, that you see that God's name is concealed within the text. Right, so it, it might not be written in plain view, like, but, you know, but it is hidden in within the text. So that's, that's awesome. It, it is awesome because that shows us that, that God is always present. We just have to open our eyes. We just have to see that all the events, you know, one thing you don't see in the book of Esther, you don't see a sea split. You don't see the plagues. You don't see the makot, the plagues from heaven slamming down on Persia. You don't see, you know, uh, Esther walking on water. You don't see any miracles. But everything that happened in the book of Esther was an absolute miracle designed by God, designed by God's providence. Because this is that concept of concealment, that right. God is always there, and he's orchestrating the events of the world. I feel like we, we, we live in a world of concealment. Like, you get the choice today. Do you, do you see God working in your life today for you, or do you not? And it's your choice. You get to either see it or you don't. We live in a world of concealment, I feel like sometimes. But, and every now and then he does some pretty great miracles that you know it's him. It's not coincidence, but you do see him. Even Einstein said that you can live as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is a miracle. So it's up to you to decide. Mm -hmm. But what is, if even a, a leaf of grass is a miracle because we cannot create that. <laughs> it's impossible for us to do something like that. But we're used to see them. It's in, it has become ordinary, Money. but you can, can come up with it. Right. So it's fascinating that as Esther is about to go before before the king, it says on the third day she put on her royal garments. Why does it say on the third day? Why does it say that? It's fascinating because if you look throughout the entire Torah, you will see this tavnit, this pattern. This says on the third day Israel received the Torah. On the third day, the rabbis even say the third day is the day of resurrection. 
Why? Because of Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 that says, after two days, um, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Um, it is throughout the text. So you see that there are certain hidden patterns within the book of Esther that are showing you the patterns of redemption if you know how to read it. Huh. Because what we are reading about is the revelation of that which is hidden. In other words, it's hidden beneath the subtext of these historical events that happen. I believe that Esther is real. That it really happened. But the way it is written, it's written in the coded language. There is the subtext. And Esther is manifesting that the qualities of Messiah, the son of Joseph, but also she represents Israel as a whole. If she represents Israel as a whole, who would represent also this masculine aspect of Mashiach? And that would be Mordecai. So, again, we have to find out. If we know Esther, her source in the Torah is Deuteronomy 13, the concealment of Hashem's face which we just showed you that Hashem is behind the scenes. Where is Mordecai? So Mordecai, his father's name was Yair. Okay? Mordecai bin Yair. What does Yair mean in Hebrew? It means the radiance, the light that is shining. He's the son of light. Okay? And he is also the son of Benjamin. Actually, he calls him Ishimini. So what does that mean, the, the, a Benjamite? But this is the man of the right hand, okay? So you start looking at this, you go, wait a minute, there's a deeper level here. And then you see that he is a descendant of, of Benjamin. And if you look at the Midrash, that you'll see that uh, Esther is also the descendant of, of Shaul, Shaul the, the, the first king of Israel. So is Mordecai. Um the first king of Israel, his goal was to wipe out King Agag, okay? who was a Amalekite. So we're going to talk about this just a little bit. But where is Mordecai indicated in the Torah? In the verse flowing myrrh, Exodus 30, verse 23, which the Targum renders as Miradakia. So this comes from Quillen 139b in the Talmud. So the word for Mordecai equals flowing myrrh, all right? Now, who else received myrrh? I don't know if you... Is it, doesn't myrrh have a special connection to somebody we know? Frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> so, listen to this. This is from Rebbe Nachman. He says, Mordecai had to sense God's will because Mordecai personified the moradachia, the fragrant incense. And like Mashiach was able to smell, to sense God's will, so Mordecai too possessed an aspect of this halakhic sense. So Mordecai represents Messiah, the son of of Joseph, which is remarkable, and he's even raised up to the second pow most powerful um, position at the end of the book of Esther, just like Joseph before him. And we're just like not even going to scratch the surface of this. I'm telling you, it is so deep. So we see that Mordecai represents Mashiach, that Esther represents Mashiach and Yosef and Israel as well. But then we have to go to who does Haman represent, or Haman we say in English. Let's look at Esther 3.1. It says, Sometime later, King Ahasuerosh began to single out Haman, the son of Hamdata, the Agagi, the Agagite, for advancement. Eventually, he gave him precedent over all of his fellow officers. Now, let's just think about this here for a moment. We have to trace Haman's lineage. Okay, who's, it's very clear here. Who is Haman's grandfather? King Agag, the same guy whom Saul 
was supposed to wipe out, right? He was commanded by Samuel to wipe him out. Right. All right. But who is Agog and why does he have to be wiped out? It sounds kind of violent in a sense. Um, Agog is part, and you look at the, you look at the, his lineage. Agog is a descendant of a figure called Amalek. Right. Or Amalek. Okay. Amalek was a group of people, and this represents a spirit. Okay. Amalek represents a spirit. It is not necessarily a physical people. It represents a spirit. And Amalek was a nation that when Israel was coming up out of Egypt, they attacked the women and the children. Okay. Amalek has the gematria, the numerical value in Hebrew of the word safek, which means doubt. The times that we are attacked, it's usually at our weakest point. Nobody attack. We're not attacked where we're the strongest. We're attacked at the weakest. That's the pattern of Amalek, right? Safek is doubt. Now, it's very interesting because if you read in the Torah, you'll see that Yehoshua ben Nun, Joshua the son of Nun, is fighting against the Amalek. Okay, and this is in Exodus, I think it's uh, like Exodus 15 through 17 in this zone, and Parshat Beshalach, and in this special Torah portion where the sea splits, okay? So Joshua is fighting against Amalek, and in this process, um, Moses' arms become weak. I don't know if you remember this, and his arms became weak, and then Aaron and Hur hold his arms up, and it says they held his arms steady in the English, but it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says they held his arms faith. The word is emuna. The translators, when you come to this, like, why does it say steady? How do you translate? The word is emuna, which means faith. And so you see there's this underlying picture between faith and doubt and that we need to destroy doubt. Amen. We need to uproot doubt in our lives. We need to destroy it and replace it with emuna and bitachon. And uh, bitachon is, is absolute trust. Mm. Um and there's even a song that says, Emuna, Bitachon, bring the Geulah. So A, B, basically the ABCs of Hebrew, Emuna, Bitachon, Geulah. Geulah means redemption. So it means faith, trust, brings the redemption. So when we see this, we have to say, okay, Amalek is the source of doubt. But where does Amalek come from? Where does he come from? And you trace him back to Esau, or Esau, and who's also called Edom, who was the person who sold his birthright. Okay, but you have to keep looking further back. Now look at this in Genesis 3, 1. The ultimate root of doubt is when the serpent in the, in the, in the so garden. That's what I was thinking. Were you said, thinking of it? Yeah. The serpent says, has God really said that you should not eat of the tree of the garden? I want to show you something very interesting here in Hebrew. It says, um, it says the word, have you really eaten of the tree? And the word the, of the tree in Hebrew is written with inaccurate Hebrew. It says, um, it says, Who told you that you were naked? It says, have, have you from the tree? But in Hebrew, it would be like this. Have you, the, have you eaten uh, the from the tree? That's the way it says it in Hebrew. Here's the word right here. Look what it says. Hey, men, nu. You know what that means? Haman. <laughs> Haman, and matter of fact, the rabbis say this in Hulun 139b. Where is Haman indicated in the Torah? It is in the verse, is it Hamin from the tree? Mm. 
So we see that we are dealing with not a physiological, not a physical person, but a, a spiritual person. Rabbi Ari Khan says, more than the meaning of the name of Haman, the Talmud looks for the ideological roots of such evil. How is such a personality formed? The Gemara looks beyond his father Agag, beyond his great-grandfather Amalek, beyond his forefather Asaph, and looks even further back to our first and deadliest adversary, the serpent, who encouraged man to eat from the tree of knowledge, even if, or precisely because, the price was death. This is what we are talking about. We see this pattern that is coming forth in the book of Esther, a battle between the Mashiach, between Israel, and the serpent. That is the story. That is what is going on. And in Numbers chapter 24, 7, there is a prophecy about Messiah that his king shall be higher than Agag, than Agag. His kingdom shall be exalted. Speaking about Messiahs. So we see that what happens with Mordecai is what is going to happen with Messiah. Okay? What happens with Esther is what's going to happen with Israel. What happens with Haman is what's going to happen with the Antichrist and all anti-Semitism. So at that moment, Esther 4.14 says, If you fail, for if you fail to speak up now, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from a makom acher, from another place. That word makom is a name for God. Okay, Acher is a very unusual very unusually, uh, an unusual phrase to say it this way. Makom is one of God's names. Why is God's one of his names Makom? Makom in, in English means the place. The rabbis say, why is Hashem's name Hamakom, the place? Because Hashem is the place of the entire universe. In other words, the entire universe is, exists inside of him. He does not exist inside of it. In other words, my place is Midland, Texas. All right. Hashem's place is not in the universe. The universe's place is inside of him. That's why we translate this word hamakom in English as the omnipresent, the one who is everywhere at every time. Concealed, not concealed, he is always there. So it even continues. If you fail to speak up now, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from a makom affair from a different place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows whether you did not come into your royal position precisely for such a time as this. The most, probably the most famous phrase in all of the book of Esther. We are living in those days. When it says in the days of King Ahasuerus, what we are really reading about oh. is the final last days. Okay. We are reading about the pattern of redemption. We're reading about the battle between uh, between faith and doubt. We are even reading about future history. I want to show you something shocking. You hear what I said, future history. That didn't even make sense. It sounds like a contradiction. I want to tell you, everything that has been done is that is what will be done. For there is nothing new under the sun. Jewish history is Jewish prophecy. If you want to know what is going to happen in the final days, you must know what's going to happen, what, what happened in the past. I want to show you something shocking. This is a 3,000-year-old necklace found in Iran. Look at this. Wow. See yeah. anything unusual about that? Yes, of course. It's disturbing. It is disturbing. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the word Iran, mm -hmm. that is not the name of the place. The, the, the name of Iran is not Iran. The name of, of Iran is Paras, which is Persia. 
Iran means Aryan. Okay, that's where they got the idea from. That's the etymology of area, uh, of Iran. So I want to show you what is the connection between this this swastika Nazi symbol and Iran. This is shocking. In Esther nine, verse seven through ten, it mentions the ten sons of Haman that were hung. This is the way it looks in the scroll. You will see that all the names are stacked one upon one upon another because they were all impaled one upon another. They were all hung. If you look very closely, you will see that there is a very small Hebrew letter Tav that's not the normal size. You'll see a very small Hebrew letter Sheen, a very small Hebrew letter Zion, and a giant Vav. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And this is based on the names. As a matter of fact, we don't even like to say these names. So the way when they're reading, as, as Leonor read earlier, the, the Megillah, they're singing it, they actually do like this, like, breathe in real deep. The Ten Sons of Haman. I can say it real fast, as fast as you can go with one breath. It's very fascinating. But we have to explain why is the scroll written with these little bitty letters and this one giant big letter. Now, this is incredible. This is Rabbi, Rabbi Avi Shafran. He says, the large letter is the Hebrew character for the number six. Because every Hebrew letter has a number. Okay. The small letters, if they add, if they were all added together, equal the number 707. If the large letter is taken to refer to the millennium and the, and the 707 for the year within the millennium, something fascinating emerges. Now let me explain. If the giant Vav refers to the sixth millennium, the sixth millennium is the year 5001, to the year 6,000. The seventh millennium is the year 6,001 to the year 7,000. 7, okay? It sounds counterintuitive, but we don't count the zeros. It's just basic math, right? So look what happens. It comes to the year 5707. Okay? 5707. Today, we're in the year 5783. So if we looked at the Hebrew year, 5707, what Gregorian year would that correspond to? It corresponds to 1946. Wow. There is something that was really stunning about 1946 because that's when they, we had what was called the Nuremberg Trials. At the Nuremberg Trials, there were 12 men who were tried. One of the men, and here, here they are, and one of the men uh, was tried in absentia, so he was not there. The guy was dead. The other guy, named Goering, he committed suicide the night before they were scheduled to be executed, leaving ten generals of that man Hitler. Huh. Matching, okay. the ten. Matching the ten sons. It goes a step further. There was a guy, this guy right here, named Julius Stryker. As they put the rope around his neck to execute him for his horrible crimes against humanity and the Jewish people, he yelled out, According to the ancient, or according to, to historical documents, this is Purim Fest 1946. Okay. Wow. Wow. The for him to to make such a statement, I mean, he has to know 
the Book of Esther. I mean, they sure someone. knew. They sure knew. You know, you saw the swastika in that necklace from 3,000 years ago. Hitler was a, 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 a guy who was a lot into mysticism. Even transported the, the, the temple. The Easter gate. Many, many, many temples, stone by stone, he stole them from Greece, from, from Iran, right. from Persia. But Persia, it, it was still the Persian Empire in the 30s, and it was the Shah who was Hitler's friend who changed the name in Hitler's time to Iran. Huh. Because they, they are the Aryan people. So that the notion that, that the Aryan race is white and blue eyes, is, is mistaken. This is not about color. Because it's, it's, uh. It's Amalek. It's there. It's Amalek. It's completely yeah. Amalek. This is the thing. So look at this. It goes further. Brother Avi Shafran says, the book of Esther refers to the hanging of Haman's ten sons in the future tense. After the event had already been recounted, presaging as it might seem some hanging yet to happen. Now this is shocking because you read the book of Esther, and it doubles it. There's a doubling here. You see that it says again, and you're going, why is she saying this again? And it's speaking about it in the future tense. Now, this goes wow. further. Rabbi Yaakov Asher Sinclair says, The Nuremberg trials were a military tribunal, and thus the method of execution was usually by firing squad. The court, however, prescribed hanging. Esther's request, let Haman's ten sons be hanged, echoes down through the ages. Equally uncanny is the date of the execution, October 16, 1946, which fell on Hoshana Rabbah, the 21st of Tishri, the day in which God seals the verdict of Rosh Hashanah for the coming year, like when he actually does the execution. The, the verdict is sealed on Yom Kippur, but the actual, um, there's a, an, another tradition that this actually gets uh, affected on, on uh, uh, Hoshana Rabbah. So what we are seeing is something shocking. We are seeing the exact story that happened in the book of Purim play out in the previous generation, the generation that the greatest generation of America, the people that fought Hitler, World War II, um, the, 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 you know, the, the Holocaust camps, the concentration camps, and all of these things, which brings us to this particular point. There is a incredible connection to the anti-Semitism that is rising in our own day and that which happened in the days of Haman, that which happened in the days of, 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 the, man from Germ of the man from Nazi Germany, all the way back to Agag, all the way back to Amalek, all the way back to Esau, who, who hates Jacob, all the way back to the snake in the, in, in the garden. So we have to really think about this, where we are as non-Jewish people in, in this particular day. Are we going to be the people that are going to sit back and be passive and just allow this type of anti-Semitism that is even infecting Hebrew roots and Messianic world, the, both of those worlds, infecting the church, that's a fact, and it's also affecting in the secular and, and anti anti-Jewish world. So, I mean, it's just all over the world. Perhaps God has raised us up in these last days for such a time as this, for us to stand with the Jewish people, to stand with Esther, to stand with Mordecai, to stand against Haman. And that is not only in the external and the physical, it's in the spiritual. 
Every single person must extinguish the Haman within, must extinguish hate within them, and embrace the Mordechai, which is the Moradachia, is the beautiful incense, to become the incense of the Messiah, just be the, the word reach, smell in Hebrew is the word ruach, a spirit, where we can all love each other and look at our brother with such love and look at the Jewish people with such love. This story of Purim is not only, this is, this is a shocking part because this is known as a Jewish festival, okay? And it is a Jewish festival, absolutely. But it's one that the nations are invited to join in. At the end of the book of Esther, you will see that there were so many people from the nations that came and joined to God's people. Now that is absolutely stunning because you see Haman as this basically is an antichrist-like figure. I want to take it to the next step. There was another Benjamite named Saul who stood against uh, uh, against Amalek. And it's in the New Testament. Do you know who this is? No. Paul. Oh. Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only one who never bowed down to Esau. Esau is the grandfather of Amalek. Amalek's the grandfather of Agag. Agog's the grandfather of Haman. Haman is the spiritual progenitor of Hitler. Okay? Hitler is the, was the, was last generation's antichrist. Okay? Paul refused to bow down to Rome. In fact, he appealed to the Roman emperor. Do you know who the Roman emperor was at the time of Paul? It was Nero. Okay? You know what Neron Kaiser is the way you say his name in Hebrew? Caesar Nero? Neron Kaiser? You know what that equals in Gematria? 666, okay? And you have Paul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees, and, and he's a believer in Yeshua, and he's standing up face to face of the Antichrist of his generation and declares to him to his face the gospel with such boldness and, and with such power. And, and it's just absolutely incredible to see his his chutzpah to do this. Okay. I mean, we're talking about the, the leader of the world, but this is not the leader. This is Nero, who's probably perhaps maybe the craziest, arguably, of, of all the Roman emperors. And he's like, his name literally equals 666. And he's telling him to his face about the resurrection of Yeshua. And so on the, on, uh, again, in the, the book of Revelation, you, you see that there's this Antichrist figure that's going to come out, and there's going to be this anti-Semitism in the last days, and then we look, just this week, was it just this week, that there was this National Day of Hate plan by... Oh, yeah. by it was for this past Shabbat. This past Shabbat, there was this National Day of Hate that people were trying to coordinate this hate against the Jewish people. A day of rage. A day of rage. What's so funny about that? I say funny, it's not funny, it's heartbreaking, but it's ironic. They planned it in the month of Adam. The month in which we increase joy, but it's the month in which Hashem flips over the anti-Semitism and the, the gallows that were intended for Mordecai were, were executed upon Haman. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to tell you what that ultimately means. If Mordecai represents the Mashiach and the gallows, you know what the, the in the Hebrew, what they say, if they say it even in Hebrew, use the word salav and etz. Salav means cross. It means to be crucified. Okay. They wanted to crucify Mordecai the Mashiach, okay? And instead, in that process, death was destroyed. Hallelujah. The snake 
was destroyed in that process. What we are reading in the book of Esther is the hidden gospel beneath the surface text. We are reading about the patterns of redemption. We are reading about this concept that when Yeshua was crucified, death was, the process of death was triggered and death is destroyed and he resurrects. What Haman, what the snake meant for Mordecai, who is representing Yeshua, actually flips over. And, and what appeared to be the defeat, what appeared to be the downfall of the Jewish people is the exact inverse. And resurrection and life comes, which brings us to this, come to the very end. It says, for the Jews, there was light, joy, gladness, and honor. And in Habela, we say, so may it be for us. This is the way it is. The Jewish people are, by the hand of Yeshua, by the hand of Messiah, are about to be restored to their rightful place in the world. We as non-Jews, if you're a non-Jewish person watching, we have to let go of Haman. We have to actually destroy it. We have to destroy the hatred of the Jewish people. We have to destroy this and embrace the love of the Jewish people, embrace the Jewish people. They, matter of fact, in, in Zechariah chapter 8, it says, 10 men from every nation will take a hold of the tzitzit of him who is the Jew and say, come, let us go with you. For we are God is with you. You know what that means? It does mean Messiah. It does mean the Jewish people. You know what the rabbi, you know who the rabbis apply it to? Mordecai. Huh. You see at the end of the book of, uh, at the end of the book of Esther, at the end of the revelation of the hidden, that all these Jewish people connect and join to the Jewish people. It's there. This is what is going to happen in the future. If you're a believer in Yeshua, you have been grafted in. These are, are your family. And we cannot stand by as anti-Semitism rises and us just be silent. Or we can't allow any latent anti-Semitism or any active anti-Semitism in our hearts against the Jewish people, especially in the Messianic movement, there should be zero. But among Christians, if you believe in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, our Jewish Messiah, you must embrace and love and support Israel and the Jewish people and grab onto their tzitzit and say, let us learn from you. Let us go with you. Matter of fact, that is the picture of the Messianic era, that all the nations will say, come, let us go up to the God of Jacob and learn his ways. Matter of fact, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31, when it talks about the new covenant, it says, Notsrim, it says Christians will go up on Mount Ephraim and, and they will proclaim, they will like connect to the Jewish people. This is the picture. This is what we are reading about in the revelation of the hidden, that through the Mashiach, the nations are going to come. Through the Mashiach, Israel is going to put on our garments on the third day and be raised up, which represents the messianic era. We are reading about that the intent to crucify Mordecai, to crucify Yeshua, ends up resulting in the death of death, where death is swallowed up and there is no victory for death. What we are reading is the Gospel of Esther. We are reading the hidden patterns of redemption. And indeed, for the Jews, there was light, joy, gladness, and honor, and so may it be for us. Amen. And if we connect to our Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, it will be. If we connect to our Jewish people, yeah. um, it will be. And and the time is now, for we have been raised up in these last days for such a time as this. Yes, amen. Right. So on the Gregorian calendar, what day of what day is Purim this month? March seventh. March seventh. Uh, yes. Oh no, no March seventh. Today's, today's Adar seventh. Yeah. Today's Adar seventh. Yes. So, okay. So March seventh. Mark it on your calendar. 
read read the the book of Esther uh, and and research this. It's so amazing to when you see. I don't you know I don't I want. It's a wonder how this book even made it into our Bibles. When we don't see the name of God, mm-hmm. uh, when we don't really see how that related, and, uh, and praise God, it, it, it's there. He's there. And he's there. And Yeshua's he's here with us there. today. Yeshua's yep. with us. Um, if you've enjoyed this show today, uh, we just we just asked all of our viewers. We are a, a viewer-supported program. If, th- if this is something that you're, you're, you're just loving, uh, we just ask that you would uh, like it. Share it on Facebook, share it on YouTube, and and Father, I just I ask uh, for our audience support us, uh, support us financially, and support us with with uh, with with your hearts to share uh, what we're putting together here on the Light of the Southwest. Holly, did you want to close us with any thoughts? Yes, actually, thank you. Um, I love the message. I love what Mr. Ben and Ms. Leonor shared with us today, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity to translate this to you. And I just want to highlight that within each one of us, if Yeshua is ruling and reigning in your heart, that this is your time, just like it was for Queen Esther. Pray about it how and what the Father wants you to say, to speak up on behalf of his people. And just like Ruth said, your people shall be my people. We are connected with a bond that's spiritual and it's eternal. And I would encourage each one of you to ask the Father how you can speak up for those who are for themselves. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us today. Thank you so much. And Happy Purim to everybody. Uh-huh. Celebrate Purim. You can connect to it. Celebrate it. Read the read the 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 Megillah. Read the scroll. Put on a mask. Have fun and connect <laughs> with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh-huh. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. Uh-huh.